Well, that tells the story of Joseph that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 1. You know, he said that I'm not enough. And that's true. You and I are not enough. But here's who's enough. God is enough. And listen to me. In this transitional period, God is enough. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about who the next pastor is. It's about a shepherd who leads his sheep. His name is Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And so we are shepherded by a God who loves us. And sometimes there are detours in our lives. Sometimes all of our plans don't work out the way that we thought they would work out. So we have to let go and let God. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Matthew when we see the birth of the king. We see the birth of the king. For those of you that are guests here, we're in a transitional period. Our pastor of 53 years has been faithful to the call of God in his life. And he is being reassigned. You can call it retirement from a job, but we never retire from ministry. So pray for Brother John. Pray for Kathy. Pray for me. I'm going to be your voice and face. My face is going to be in this service for a little while. We'll have guest speakers lined up that will be in here. But I want to just tell you, you don't have anything to fear because God is in control. He was in control of the birth. You see, there was a guy by the name of Herod who thought he was in control. In Matthew chapter 1, if you just take your Bible and you take the last page in the book of Malachi, if you just go to your Bible and take the last page, it talks about God turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the fathers. And then when you flip the page from Malachi to Matthew, you've just turned 400 years. God was silent. He didn't say a thing. And then the first thing that he says is there's a king that's coming on the scene. And this king is born to reign. He is born to live. He is born to die. He is born to be resurrected after his death. And so in the midst of this, there was a guy who was trying to take over. And there was a guy by the name of Herod, who was the governor of the area of Rome, of Judea and Galilee in this particular area. And so what he decided to do is he decided that he had a plan. It wasn't God's plan, but it was his plan. And so he heard that there was an up-and-coming king that was being born. He didn't know exactly where this king was coming from, but he decided to take out Jewish babies to try to kill and ward off any up-and-coming king that was happening, and he decided that he would just kill off a whole generation. The problem with Herod is this. It was too late. God's plan was already in fruition. You cannot stop God. You cannot stop a powerful, almighty God who had a plan from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin and that he would come and be the savior of the world. So Herod had a plan, but God had a plan that overruled Herod's plan. Some of you have a plan for your life. Let me tell you something. You better put it in pencil and you better give God authority over the eraser. Because all the time, our plans don't always work out, but God's plans do. So oftentimes, we have to erase our plan, and we have to embrace God's plan. He had it all planned out for him and Mary. They were betrothed. Let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. 
Now, let me just set this up. In verses 1 through 17, Matthew lays out a legal description that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. It's like he lays out a legal document, connects all the dots about the genealogy of Jesus. And then it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Hmm, an engaged virgin. That's interesting. How long ago was that? Let's think about that. An engaged virgin. Two people who were betrothed to be married. It was like our marriage would be today. So there was a betrothal period, but before they came together, they had not consummated the marriage. So this is very important. Notice what the text. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought or pondered, that's what this word means here, pondered means to think again and again about these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Can I tell you this this morning? Could we rally around that truth in unity as the body of Christ? Yes, we are in a transitional period. Yes, there are a lot of unknowns, but our unity will be seen when we gather around a relationship, and that relationship is around a baby who was born to die and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us. So when we talk about unity, we don't try to produce it. We preserve it, and Christ is the one who is all unity. So we as a church will come under the umbrella of the gospel of grace, and we will say that this will unify our church in a transitional time. We won't ask questions that don't need to be asked. We won't say things that don't need to be said. Because could you imagine what was being said at this time? Here's Mary and here's Joseph and she was found. She was found to be with child, which means somehow she was visible. Somehow it was visible. Could you imagine they didn't have telephones, but they sure had feet and tongues. Could you imagine the news that began to travel? And so in this situation, what I want to encourage our church is God is on the throne. He's got everything under control. Man, we worship a God who knows everything from beginning to end. We have nothing to fear. We bow before the king. That's what we do. As a body of believers, we bow before the king and we trust God. Joseph had his plans rearranged. There was a detour. There was a dream adjustment. I remember one time when I was interviewing with a church, it was a large church like uh, Sagemont, and the pastor and his t executive team flew into Dallas, and I was in the Dallas area, and so they were coming from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they interviewed me at the, at the Hilton Hotel right there by the airport, and the pastor was speaking over at Prestonwood uh, at a banquet for uh, Jack Graham, and so we talked in the hotel for about four hours, and God was at work. And I remember asking the pastor, how long are you going to be there? How, just, just, just one of those things that my wife would want to know if you hire me. How long do you plan on being there at the church? He said seven to ten years. Long story short, plans and dreams change. There was a detour along the way. And the detour happened after they hired me. The senior pastor left after ten days. 
do you know I had to embrace what God had for me and for the church? I, what, what plans we had and, and what I was hired to do and what my job description was and what my title was, it all changed. But you see, you have to be willing and I have to be willing to let go of what God has already let go of. We have to be willing to embrace the vision and the dream of God. We have to be willing to be like Joseph and say, here I am. I am not enough, God, but you are enough. And as I walk in righteousness, as I walk in truth, I'm going to yield my life to you. So let go and let God. But notice what the text says. So now we get this picture that we have God doing a big thing. That, that with Herod, it was too late for Herod. And because it was too late for Herod, it's not too late for you today because Jesus has come on the scene and Jesus is the Savior of the world. So if it's too late for Herod and his plans to come into fruition, it's not too late for you because you can find yourself right smack in the middle of the will of God today by trusting Jesus as your Savior. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. This is important to get. Mary and Joseph were living their lives consecrated to God and consecrated to each other. They had made a commitment that God was going to be their God and their lifestyle would match up and be consistent with the character of God. So they were carrying on business as usual. And all of a sudden, you find out that Mary is an engaged virgin. And so all of a sudden, you can imagine what it was like in their lives. So there was a betrothal period. And in the Jewish culture, it means they were legally married, but they had not consummated their marriage yet. And so they were living their lives in holiness. They were living their lives in righteousness. What would it be like for young people today to live their lives in holiness and live their lives in righteousness and have holy courtships and be sanctified and to be holified and to be set apart for God. And so Mary and Joseph were set apart for God. And I want to say this to those of us in this room, for those of us that have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we are set apart for God. We are holified. We are sanctified. We are righteous because God is righteous in us. And we live our lives differently than the world lives their lives. If we could have holy courtships today, if we could have holy dating today, it would change this world because not everybody's doing it. There are some people that live their lives according to the consistent character of God, and that character that is birthed in them actually helps them to walk forward in commitment to Christ. So I want you to notice in this text, these are two people who are walking with God, and all of a sudden, there's a curveball that comes. It's a curveball that comes, and they have to decide, am I going to hold on to what God has let go of, or I'm going to embrace the mission and the vision, because it must be much bigger than I am. So it's an engaged version. The word betrothed here in the Jewish culture, I just told you what that means. So they had a consecrated relationship. So the issue with Joseph there were supernatural births in, in Jewish history all the time. So this would not be a surprise to the Jewish people, the supernatural births. Let me give you some. Uh, Isaac was the son of promise, born to a woman of 100 plus years. Samuel was born to a woman who was barren. Samson was born to a woman uh, who was barren. And the rabbis, through their own tradition, would even say that there were some extraordinary circumstances that would surround the Messiah. 
Messiah's birth. So the issue was not how Mary was pregnant. It was that she was pregnant. It was that she was pregnant. That's the dilemma that Joseph was facing. That's the predicament that Joseph was facing in his life. Here's a righteous man who's walking with God, and he's thinking Mary is the talk of the town. Uh, has she been in another relationship? What is the situation here? So the idea is that Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 19. This is very important. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now circle the word just. Uh, it, it's the word righteous, being the righteous man. The word righteous or just man tells us something about Joseph. Listen, in, in this time when you and I walk in this world, it's not about what we walk and do on Sunday. It's about Monday through Saturday. Worship is a lifestyle. Righteousness is who we are 24-7. So what was happening with Joseph is the text says he was a just man. He was a righteous man. His conduct was consistent with the character of God. It's, it's a word decayo here that means that he was set apart and his righteousness came from God. So if you remember back in the day, some of you are old enough in here to remember this. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you remember the, the bracelet that we would all wear? What would Jesus do? And basically it was saying that, you know, you want to always ponder, you want to always think about what Jesus would do in a certain situation. Now, I'm all for slogans, and I'm all for ways to promote righteousness, but if there is no foundation of righteousness, then there is no relationship with the God of righteousness. You have to have a foundation of righteousness, and that's exactly what the text says. Look at it. Joseph was a just man. He was a righteous man. And so you understand here that this bracelet that people would wear, they would ponder, what would Jesus do? And if you remember Payne Stewart, the great golfer was killed in a plane crash, and at his funeral, they passed out 3,000 WWJD bracelets. And so the idea was that we're going to promote righteousness. We're going to promote righteousness. Listen, righteousness is in a person, and Joseph even though the curveball came, he was a just man, and he was living his life in righteousness, and it, his life was consistent with the character of God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Godliness is consistent with the character of God. So when you see this story, you have two people who are walking with God. Two people who have consecrated their relationship with God. And because of that, righteousness begins to flow out of their life. Religious people very rarely hear from God. If you're a religious person today, you won't hear from God because you don't have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is not a religion. He is a relationship. Listen, religion is man's attempt to try to get to God. Let me tell you what Christianity is. It's God's success in coming to man. Emmanuel, God with us. We sang about it. That's Christianity. Christianity works when Christ comes into your heart and you receive the forgiveness of sins. So Joseph, her husband, being a just man, his conduct was consistent with the character of God. The illustration I would give you is this. If you've ever seen, have you ever been to Walmart? Listen, if you go to the one where I live on Friday night, it is one kind of show. Man, I've never seen a bunch of rednecks like I've seen on a Friday night in uh, 
Walmart. Man, you don't have to pay for any of this. It's just fun, man. So, so you always see daddy. Let me give you a picture of the, the character being consistent with who God is and consistent with godliness. And so you have daddy and you have junior walking. But you have daddy who has this big hand. And then you have junior that has this little hand. So daddy's big hand is right here. And junior puts his little hand in daddy's big hand. And so junior has confidence. He has confidence in his daddy that everything's going to be okay because I have held on to somebody who's bigger and somebody who's badder than me. Now watch this. Daddy is also confident because his hand is the one that stabilizes this little hand. And so we would call that a picture of faith. So not only does Junior have confidence in Daddy, but Daddy has confidence in the fact that Junior is holding on to a hand that is stronger than him. You would call that hand coming together faith. Now watch this. When Junior gets out of control, like at Walmart, you know, every mama has tried to calm her kids down. And every mama has tried to pay her kids off to obey. How's that working for you? <laughs> Let me tell you how it works. Mama can yell all she wants to. But when daddy says son and calls him by name, all of a sudden the kid who was going to pull the head off the mannequin is able to sit down at the command of the father. Listen to me. The object is the father. The object of the behavior is the father. Every child likes to be like their father. You know, someone will say, well, your mama will say, well, you're always trying to be like your daddy. Guess what? Kids want to be like their father. It motivates them. So if they can see their father doing it, if they can see their father obeying, then it's easier for them to obey. And what I want to say to you is that's exactly where Joseph was. His conduct was consistent with the character of God. And he knew that a righteous person walked in a certain manner. It wasn't something that they just did. It was who they were. And so I want you to see that the motivation and the object for those of us who are walking in righteousness is God the Father. That our conduct would be consistent and represent who he is. So I want you to see here that Joseph was a just man. That's what the text says. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. So here's what would happen in Jewish culture and tradition. There were three things he could do because of this situation. She was found. Somehow it was evident, it was visible to people that she was pregnant. So he could either shame her publicly, number one. Number two, he could divorce her. Or number three, he could have her put to death. So he was in a position where the curveball was thrown, and he had to decide whose dream he was going to follow. He was either going to have a dream adjustment, or he was going to have a dream acceptance. He was going to have to drop his dream and pick up God's dream so he could embrace the vision of something that was much bigger than him. And so the text says in verse 20, it says this is what he did. This is what a righteous man does. This is what a righteous woman does. This is the conduct and the commitment and the consistency in a person who walks with God. It's right here. But while he thought, the text says, while he thought or while he pondered about these things. The, the word pondered means to think again and again. 
to examine over and over and over. Could you imagine being thrown the curveball, having your life all planned out, thinking about how it's all going to look with children in the future and how you've been doing things on purpose when your head says yes and your heart says no? He, he was in a position where he was struggling. So he came to a position when you're struggling, you come to a position where you put yourself before God and you say, God, I'm struggling with this. I am really in a situation. Some of you are in situations. 2019 hasn't turned out like you thought it would. And you're in a situation where you're still holding on to something that God's already let go of a long time ago. And you're in a position where you're pondering and you're thinking and you're examining. And the issue is, are you going to position yourself under the authority of God and the authority of his word? Because the text says that Joseph did this, but while he pondered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. So position yourself to embrace God's will. You see, the challenge will never be to discover the unknown will of God for any of us in this room. The challenge will always be, are we willing to do the known will of God? It's not to say, well, I don't know the unknown will of God. Listen, are you willing to do the known will of God? Has God spoken to your heart in some way? And God has told you something. And he has, by faith, revealed a revelation to you. And you still have held on to your dreams instead of letting go what God has let go of and embrace what God has for you. It will be at the point of revelation that you drop your dream and you embrace God's dream. And you can ponder and you can ponder and you can ponder all you want. But there's a decision to uh, be affected here. And it's up to us. God will never force his will on us. He only presents his will to us. Oh, let me say it again. God will never, he loves me too much. He will never force his will on me. He will never force his will on you. He just presents it to us. And I can choose at that moment to do what pleases me and reject him. Or I can choose to reject what pleases me and I can receive him and embrace his will for my life. Some of you are here this morning, and you need to embrace the Christ of Christmas. These beautiful people that were saved and baptized, the step of obedience to God. Some of you here don't know what it's like to be free like we sang in the song. You don't know what it's like to let go and let God. We as a church have to let go and let God. We thank God for the past. We thank God for our faithful pastor of 53 years. But we have someone who has been shepherding us, as Brother John said last week, and will continue to shepherd us. We can't hold on to what God has let go of, and the future is real bright here because Jesus Christ is in control totally. And it's not dependent on my eloquence. It's not depending on, on your eloquence. It's dependent upon the grace of God, which is given to us as a gift. And when that grace of God touches your life and you experience the grace of God. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you say, I am not alone anymore. I have Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, Mary, think about this. She was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The reservation and the preservation in the empty space and the hollow space of her womb, God filled it with himself. Think about that. 
Only God will fit in the space that is designed for him to fit. You can't put money in a place that is designed for God to fit and him to fit only. Think about that. Mary, it became visible. It became evident that she was found to be with child. Can I tell you something? When you get Christ in your life, it will become visible. It will become evident to all around you that someone else is living in your life. God doesn't do things in the dark. Satan operates in the dark. God makes himself visible to a world who needs him. And he wants to do that through you. Think about that. That's an amazing thought here. So here's what happened. The Bible says here that the angel came to him in a dream saying, don't be afraid. Do you know what some of you need to do today? Listen carefully, including myself. We need to drop our fears and deposit them on the Christ of Christmas. Some of you are very fearful of a lot of things. You're fearful of death. You're fearful of losing your job. You're fearful of a lot of things. But the angel came after Joseph pondered these things and said, don't be afraid. Don't hold on to what God has let go of. Accept what God is doing by faith and the revelation of what he is doing by faith and cast your blanket of fear. Cast your blanket of fear on this Christ of Christmas. I think it was Charlie Brown and Linus and you just drop the blanket at the point of your fear. Some of you need to drop the blanket today at the point of your fear. And you need to let God put faith in your heart so that you don't fear anymore. You walk with him by faith because fear and faith can't reign in the same heart. That's a divided heart. you you got to have the faith and the revelation that God speaks to you. And when he speaks to you, as he spoke to Joseph, you drop the fear right there at the point of revelation. Let go. And let God do whatever he wants to do in your life. Let's let go and let God do whatever he wants to do in our church. Oh, wait a a minute. It's not our church. Let me rephrase that. It's his church. This church will go on with you and without you. It'll go on with me or without me. This is God's church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we are going to drop all of our fears. Who's the next pastor? Who cares? Listen. If the word of God is being taught and the mission still matters and the message still matters, then we are just people who are bowing before him saying, Jesus, do in me what you can only do. I yield to you. Our future is bright here. Our future is bright. Now, notice what the text says. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Embrace the dream. Erase yours, Joseph. For that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. My wife, um, she's into bringing clothes for me. I don't have to go shopping anymore. She does it online. And the Amazon man is at our door daily. (laughs) And so here's what we do. I go into the bathroom. Don't picture this. (laughs) I look in the mirror. She says, try it on. Try it on. Try it on. So I do. I try something on. And it doesn't fit. She says, no worries. We're packing it up. We're sending it back. And I'll say, this doesn't fit. And this doesn't fit. And this doesn't fit. Listen to me. The only thing that fits in a God-sized space in your heart is God himself. He fits 
perfectly. When you come to a position in your life where you understand there's a vacuum in your life that can only be filled with God himself, then you can fill that vacuum, not with humanity, but only be filled with divinity. Christ wants to save you today. He wants to fill your life to overflowing and full so that it's visible to people that you belong to him. Because let me tell you something. You might think the importance of Christmas in this story is that the importance of Joseph and his dilemma. No, that's not the main point of the text. I'm getting to the main point of the text and I'll close with it. It says right here, verse 21. We'll close with this. And she, Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son And you shall call his name Jesus. Look at this. Don't miss this. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's Christmas. Do you see what God did through Matthew? He gave them a name, a word for their fears. Drop it. Drop the blanket of fear at the point of revelation to Joseph. And then he gave them a name for their sins. The purpose of Christmas is that Jesus would be born of a virgin a virgin, an engaged virgin, giving birth to the Son of God so that people, verse 21, would be saved from their sins. Listen, this is very important to understand. The only way you can get into heaven is if you're perfect. God's standard of getting into heaven because he is so holy and he is so righteous, he cannot let sin enter into heaven. So God's standard is perfection. So with this message right here, if the Bible is true, and it is, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and Freeman, you're telling me that I have to be perfect, that should create some kind of angst in your heart today. Because watch this, someone would have to come, and someone would have to be untainted by sin. Someone would have to be absolutely holy and absolutely perfect, and that person would have to help us because we can't get into heaven unless we're perfect, and we know that we're not perfect. We are tainted by sin. We come into this world born in sin. But if Jesus came to save people from their sins, then that means that I must put my faith in someone else who has done something for me. So watch this. So Jesus was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life that you and I could never live. He died a death that you and I should have died. And because he died a death as the holy son of God, he took his holy life and God's plan was for that holy life to be sacrificed on the cross so that when God looks at me, and Jesus fulfilled his mission of being born to die, then when he fulfilled his mission, then you and I, when we receive him for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the world is always moving the line of what sin is. Let's say the line of sin is here. So what culture does is culture doesn't see the line of perfection that God is holy. Culture moves the line. And so we like to get right up to the line and say, well, what is sin? Well, I'll just go this far. Listen, Jesus died for your sins, plural, because whatever sin that you have a problem with, you have a sins problem, plural. Polly want a cracker? You just go feed your flesh in some other way. But when Jesus, this holy one, listen carefully, 
This holy one who died on the cross of Calvary died and then he rose again so that you and I could receive life. For him who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So if I have a sin problem and I am not perfect and there's no way I can earn my way into heaven, then I must put my faith and trust in someone who's absolutely perfect and absolutely holy and absolutely made a payment on the cross, one-time payment on Calvary that lasts forever and ever. And when I choose to put my faith into him, guess what? I'm now holy and righteous because he is in me. You tell me the Christ of Christmas. You tell me this story shouldn't unify us. This story is about our mission and our message. Some of you here this morning have not trusted Christ as your Savior, but you can. You can receive the forgiveness of sins because the bottom line is when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you feel angst. You have anxiety. You have fear. And you can't drop the blanket at the point of the fear because you don't have peace in your heart and you can know the God of peace. You can get into heaven because Jesus Christ, the Holy One that was perfect, paid the ultimate price. And watch this. He gave his righteousness as a gift to you. Salvation is a gift. Oh, man, you can't earn it. Righteousness is a gift. Look at the text, verse 21. And he shall save his people from their sins. Do you need to be saved from your sins? I heard a story about a man who had a pet python. It was a little pet python, and he wrapped it around his arm. <laughs> and he started to feed this pet python. You, you, you don't feed a pet python. A pet python will grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he began to feed this pet python, and then he got a job at the circus. You've probably heard this. And so he had this pet python trained. He had, he had mastered this pet python. And so this pet python, when it got to the circus, it would wrap around him and envelop him. And he would play with that pet python. And then that pet python would just envelop him. And then the last thing that pet python would do at the end of the, the little thing that he was doing was lay its head right on top of his. And then he would give the signal for the pet python. Whatever, what, what, whatever that signal is, he gave it. And usually that pet python would lift its head and unwrap himself and everybody would clap. But one day, that pet python wrapped himself and enveloped himself around that man. And at the despair and the horror of the crowd, that pet python, who he played with for a long, long time, began to crush his very bones. It didn't let go. Listen to me. Sin, you play with it for a while. But at the end, sin plays with you. And it envelops you, and it envelops me, and it wraps us up. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life because Jesus Christ was born to save us from our sins so that we could understand salvation. Sin has its root in me. Salvation in Christ, when I receive him as my Savior, now has its root in me. And Christ in me, the hope of glory, helps me to overcome sin because Jesus has already overcome sin at the cross. So our problem is not, well, the devil made me do it. Our problem is our flesh likes to go after sin. But when you have Christ in your life and you understand the forgiveness of sins, you can be free today. You can go free today out of this auditorium. Do not leave this place without knowing for sure 
that your sins have been forgiven. And there's only one way your sins can be forgiven, and that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew says, he came to save his people from their sins.